for Butler, there is going to be a book written about each season. Okay, Each game can be its own chapter. And those are all chapters that go to tell this larger story. You have all these different cast of characters. What's been the ebbs and flows of the season? Butler's had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of young players. They had the COVID pause early in the season. It's constant storytelling. And, and when I look at it with that kind of lens, it becomes really fun. And I take that job really seriously because I, I, I get entrusted by the university to be able to be the storyteller. And, and I want to do that job as best I can. You're listening to Mark Minner, radio voice of Butler University men's basketball. Mark is my guest on this episode of Michael Loves Indy. Hi friends, welcome back to Michael Loves Indy. It is basketball fever in Indianapolis during the month of March. Indianapolis hosts the entire NCAA Men's Division I basketball tournament this month, and Selection Sunday is tonight as I record this. We'll find out what the men's and women's NCAA uh, tournament draws look like, and we'll be filling out our brackets. This week has been the men's and women's Big Ten conference tournaments. The women played their championship yesterday. The men are playing theirs this afternoon, and uh, it's, it's been a great boost for the city of Indianapolis, especially coming out of COVID-19 as we look ahead to an economic recovery. So we're absolutely thrilled to be hosting these events. And I wanted to take a little bit of time uh, to uh, present this conversation that I had with my friend Mark Minner. Mark is only 30 years old. He's been the radio voice of the Butler Bulldogs, specifically Butler University men's basketball for the last several years. He started when he was a Butler student and has continued for the past decade. He's just got a great personal story. He shares a lot about how he approaches play-by-play, his own methods of preparation, what it was like to know Brad Stevens, what it's been like to be on this ride with Butler University as they've gone from um, making it to two consecutive national championship games 10 years ago to then playing in a Big East tournament where almost every Butler game now is on national TV. Mark's a really interesting guy. He's also been very successful in business. He is president of the firm First Person. They are a human capital and benefits and compensation advisory firm that has grown very fast here in Indianapolis. They do a lot of national work. And he's just really interesting. Um, It was a great opportunity just to sit back and uh, hear more about Mark and his method and his method of preparation and just how he views his role as the voice of Butler basketball. And just for fun, I do end the podcast with getting Mark's reaction. I I went back and got my, um, I listed my top three favorite Butler teams of the past 20 years. And for all you um, alums or hardcore Butler fans, I'm a casual Butler fan who's lived in Indianapolis for the past 20 years. You know, I'm a Northwestern alum, but I do enjoy the Butler Bulldogs. And I just wanted to get Mark's reaction from my three favorite Butler teams of the past 20 years since I've lived here in Indianapolis. So enjoy this conversation with the voice of Butler basketball, Mark Minner. I've had these conversations with you in short bits, but there are just a ton of questions I've wanted to ask you just about how this came about and and I guess how it came about also your approach to this job. I know you, you wear multiple hats in your life and then 
for the benefit of anybody listening, including, you know, friends and relatives of mine in California, I do want to get into a little bit of, of the mythology of Butler basketball. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So I guess, um, I've never, I've never asked you that much about your upbringing, Mark, like, um, you know, where you were raised and if, if you were looking back at you, um, your life, you know, 20 years ago, do you see any clues that would have predicted this path for you? It's interesting. I think there's some videos and some photos of me interviewing my sister in some youth sporting events back when we were like eight or nine years old. And, and so there's some funny, there's some funny stuff out there, but I I always enjoyed a few things. I always really loved sports and I, I did love the idea of broadcast TV, you know, media, whatever that looked like in, in high school, I it was fortunate where our high school started up a TV station and I, I played baseball all four years in high school was never going to go pro in baseball. So had the opportunity to be able to, to figure out how to try and parlay my love of sports into something I was also really intrigued by. And we started up a TV station and started interviewing and, and uh, coaches and, and players and covering the teams and fell in love with it and, and went to Butler thanks to a connection through a guy named Corey McFerrin, who was a Fox Chicago sports anchor. And he had been a Butler grad and was, we, we got connected in Chicago. He said, you got to come down and take a look at Butler. They've got a broadcasting program. I knew I wanted to go into school for it. And then you go to Butler and it's right place, right time as the, the sports persona or, or the, the allure of, of Butler on a national level starts to blossom immediately. And there was an abundance of opportunity and just was able to take advantage of that during my time at Butler and, and very fortuitous timing upon graduation, being able to move into the play by play job and, and, and take the reins for that. And that, that's been, I mean, it's been a dream come true. So the, the, the way you look back at that is like, if you do think back, I did love sports. I did love trying to figure out how to call games. I mean, my dad bought me stuff growing up and you'd, you'd have little sports center you know, gimmicky play sets or whatever, where you could try and have a microphone and sync up your voice or things like that. So it was, it was, it was, you looking back on it, you're like, yeah, that it was something that I, that I had spent a lot of time infatuated by and, and just was really fortunate to have the things line up that they did throughout high school and, and college and now where they sit today. And remind me what high school you went to in the Chicago suburbs? Went to Barrington. That's right. And, um, question, uh, um, were there, were, were, were there uh, play-by-play announcers or other media people that you really keyed in on um, and really, uh, you know, tried to understand their process and their approach? I was very fortunate having been able to meet broadcasters that were doing it at a high level at a younger age. Dan Shulman was a guy that was really nice to me in high school and had spent a lot of time sharing with what, you know, sharing his perspective on the industry, sharing his perspective on how he prepares for a game, how he gets going and how he, you know, balances multiple sports and how he got into the industry and his path to get there and what it takes to be successful. Along the way, there've been a lot of those folks. I did a couple summers of minor league baseball with a guy named Jeff Hem in suburban Chicago. And, and that was some of the best hands-on training doing baseball every day for two summers same, same team. You got to find new storylines, different ways to bring creativity forward. And, and that was just a blast. And then when you look to my time at Butler, obviously followed a, a few great broadcasters. Chris Denary did 
the Butler job, I think for 18 years before moving into the Pacers seat. Joe Gentry, who'd had it for four years, was a great mentor. And then Brandon Gauden, who was there for three years, brought me on to do sideline and um, you know scoreboard hosting type work. And Brandon, then after three years, went to Georgia Tech, and now he's voice of Madden and doing Fox Sports and Big Ten Network and doing a lot of amazing things. I've been very fortunate to, along the way, not just with the folks that have given hands-on, um, you know, encouragement and, and, and spent time to, to help me. Joe Davis is another guy out in L.A. now with the Dodgers and Fox Sports who have been able to build a good relationship with, and Joe's given a lot of really good feedback over time. So just been really fortunate, and what it makes you think is, how, how can I make sure that I – help anybody else who, who wants to get a start in their career. And, and not that I've figured anything out, but there's, there's a lot of lessons that I've been fortunate to learn from those who've been really successful and really generous with their time. And I try to make sure I, I give that back as well. Before I ask you about Butler, I am curious, like what as a, I'm just fascinated as to how you go from, and you, cause it seems like it happened very fast. You're part of this startup TV station, get, you know, um, absorbing a lot of information to having a lot of responsibility at Butler. And I know I'm skipping ahead, but I guess my question is, are there fundamental things that you advise high school and college students, um, things that the, things that the, just the casual fan of sports like myself wouldn't pick up on, um, you know, that, that, that make that, that make a big difference yeah. in you going from being sort of the, you know, a student to the professional. Man, there's, there's a lot of things that have, I've learned and continue to try and learn as I go throughout that. It's interesting looking back on that. First off, I just want to say like broadcasting to me, Michael was one of the best things for me personally in terms of skill development, time management, how to prepare how to be more comfortable speaking, right? communicating, how to do that. And I think even further, when you get into a play-by-play situation or anywhere where you're on live, unscripted television, because you have to be able to think on your feet quickly. You have to be able to, to look at, if, if you and I were watching the same thing, there's a lot of different ways we can describe what is happening, especially in a sport like baseball, where there's a little bit different pace to it. And so there's so many different ways to describe what's happening and storytell and weave things in. There's no one right way to do it. And that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like jazz or music or things like that. But, but there are some fundamentals to your point, right? Things like time and score, things like how you prepare for the game to make sure that you're in the right headspace to be able to, to call the game effectively and trans, translate the right amount of information, the way to have inflection in your voice, the way to, be able to make sure that you continue to, to tell the story throughout the broadcast. And there's differences between radio and television in, in radio, for example, you you've got a play by play and, and a, and a color analyst and, and the, the play by play in radio is really driving a lot of the, the conversation because you can't see anything. So you've got to understand, you've got to paint the picture and then the color analyst comes in. And so I think of my job when I work with Nick, who I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to work with. He's the absolute best is, you know, I, I, I'm trying to say what's happening and, and Nick's trying to explain why it happened or what's going to happen. Right. And, and, and that's a great dynamic on radio, but it's tilted one direction in TV. It's, it's the inverse. Nobody wants to watch a game and hear every single play that's described. You don't need to, you don't need to be told that every time. Certainly there's an element of it, but 
it's TV a lot more is captioning, right? You're, you're trying. And, and so because of that in a television broadcast for sports, the analyst is geared much more to, to drive a lot of the commentary. You're going to hear a lot more discussion led by the analyst during the play while even potentially there's a scoring play to be able to talk about now late game situations that subsides, but those are all the things, you know, and that's just scratching the surface. Right. But, but there's a lot of nuanced stuff that goes into what creates really good broadcasters. We're fortunate here in Indiana where I've been able to listen to Denary, Boyle, Fisher, uh, Cliz, who, you know, unfortunately passed just uh, this past week, but you, you have all these great broadcasters and there's so many more. I'm not trying to, leave anybody out, but all these, all these great broadcasters that have been able to uh, figure out what their version of the craft is. But when you go back to the basics, there are, there are a few things you have to learn. And if you go back, like Michael, listening back to some of the high school or college or even early broadcast, I mean, you just kind of cringe a little bit. You're like, but that's part of the journey. You should always be looking back and thinking, I feel like I'm better today than I was yeah. back then. But, but that's, but that's part of it. I, I can't, I can't relate to, I can't relate to what it's like to call a game, especially a game where there's it's moving really fast. But you, you know, you did compare it for a second to the performing live music scenario. And I'm not somebody who's as good as a professional jazz musician or something like that. But it's really Don't interesting. Don't yourself short. Well, no, I appreciate it. But I do. I am fortunate. I do get to play live music a lot. And it is. I remember lessons when I was younger, um, finding out that the best musicians were the best prepared almost without exception and it started to demystify you know what I thought was just kind of a magical process and I was like no wait a minute it's just that it's this um, routine disciplined practice that the person has done the work so that when he or she gets in the live situation they've um, minimize so many of the variables you know and so it's it's interesting that you say that I mean so you're you're saying that it it forced you to learn these lessons about discipline and preparation at a at a younger age than you might otherwise have had oh for sure and, and you know I so much of that if you're a high school student you're a college student and I'm an outgoing guy but it wasn't like I was a big public speaker or anything like that but you're put in a situation where you have to learn what does it mean to when you're either in front of a camera or behind a microphone, what does it mean to be expressive, right? How do you, how do you feel more confident and comfortable? Well, part of that feeling confident to your point is preparation, right? The other part of that that you, you go throughout and you realize is yeah, I, I prepare a lot, but I don't feel required to use all the preparation. It's also about, just because you, you researched all these things doesn't mean you have to cram a bunch of information in. It's knowing the right times to bring information forward, knowing when it might be something you really worked hard and it's a cool factor figure, but it just doesn't fit. Right. And I, and yeah. I think about that. I was parlay that back to jazz a little bit. Like you can, you can be prepared. You can, you can be a talented musician, but sometimes the flow of the song just doesn't call for that or something. You get, it's, it's a feel thing that you, you, you get, you kind of, you kind of learn that as it goes. Yep. And, and again, I'm, I, I'm still not even close to where some of the, like you just said, to some of the great professionals are in the, in, in music or, or in this case, broadcasting. So I'm always learning. I'm always listening. I'm always trying to understand. And I'm sure it's like you, you hear another musician, you're like, wow, I love how they, they played something that way, or that was a really creative way they brought that forward. And you're always listening. You're always trying to pick stuff up by, by, by how you can get better and how you can improve. And that's kind of the fun part of it is that, you know, in a broadcast, for example, you're, you're live for two, three hours and, 
and, and there's a million ways you can, there's no perfect broadcast, but you can keep trying to get better with everyone. And, and that's what, that's what you love. And, you, and, you, and just the challenge that, that presents every time. I love that. I will. Um, I want to ask you about the experience of Butler and I will, I do want to come back to this Mark cause I am, I, I am very curious and have been curious about your, your personal kind of preparation and method, you know, when, when you call, um, Butler games and big East games, I do want to ask, this is, this is great cause it's filling in, you know, gaps in your story. Some of, some of which I was, you know, not aware of. So you're, if I'm doing the math correctly, you are then considering going to Butler. This would be like end of coach Todd Licklider coming into early Brad Stevens. Is that right? Yeah. My first year was Brad's second year. So when I was looking at schools, you're right. It would have been, it would have been right as that transition was between Todd and, and, and Brad. So this is, um, okay. So, and I'm, I'm, I, I did a little bit of preparation by the way, for this uh, conversation. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> Just a little bit. Did. So, so oh six oh seven oh uh, was lick lighters last year. The team got up to a high of being ranked number 10 in the country, made it to a regional semifinal that year. Um, then, the net, then they went Stevens, let's see Stevens first year. Um, uh, of 07, oh, oh, sorry, 07, 08, they were really good as well. And, really good, um, yep. yeah, but, but, but it wasn't, okay, so you were there, you were a student at Butler then in 2010 and 11 when they go to two national final games. I was a sophomore and junior. So my freshman wow. class was, was uh, Gordon Hayward, Shelvin Mack, Ron Nord was my freshman class president. It's yep. fun to watch all of them continue to, to flourish. If we took the combined salaries, Michael, of, of Ron and, and Gordon and Shelvin and I and split it out evenly, I'd, I'd say the four of us were doing pretty well, you know? <laughs> I mean, Gordon's signing max contract <laughs> in the NBA. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was, it was an amazing time to be a Butler. My, my, so my sophomore year would have been the year that, um, that, that, they, that, that the Final Four was here in Indy and, and the famous Butler-Duke game. Incredible. And so – what was your role then? You said you spent um, you spent some time as a sideline reporter uh, prior to doing um, uh, the play by play. So, what's your what's your role as a student studying broadcast journalism at that time while the team is making this incredible run? So, I, I my freshman year, I got very involved calling games, doing whatever I could do. My sophomore year, we had started my freshman year end of year, we had started a sports show. And we'd put it on Comcast on demand. And so we produced half hour weekly sports show, produced it, edited it, you know, hosted it, whole thing. And for that, the sophomore year, we started to cover the team. So I'd go to every game. I'd do stand-ups. I'd, I'd figure out what I was doing. And, and so my sophomore year, I actually traveled out to San Jose with the team. And I think I got a note from uh, the same note that like Brad or whoever was writing the note saying, please excuse Mark from the class this week or whatever. This is before zoom was capable and everything like that. But so I, I was out traveling to San Jose as they knocked off UTAP and Murray state. I stayed on campus that second week, which was uh, amazing to be able to experience the campus fervor around those sweet 16 and elite eight games. And as you knew that the Bulldogs were coming back to Indianapolis to host the final four, that was one of the most electric experiences I can imagine our university president, Bobby Fong being lifted up, right in front of where we were standing. And then he comes back to Indianapolis for the final four. And so I was, I was sitting courtside uh, covering uh, next to leap Terry Hutchins 
and and just covering covering the game, doing stand-ups, interviews, all that stuff. My sophomore year, my junior year is when I jumped onto the radio broadcast with Brandon and Nick and started doing halftime, post-game, pre-game type updates. And is it fair to say between the first year of going to the national final, um, losing, you know, losing to Duke. And so for the, for those of you who aren't hardcore Butler basketball fans, so that would have been, yeah, that was 2010 Indianapolis hosted the final four. There's a shot by Gordon Hayward on Butler that if it had gone in, Butler wins that game, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, and then the, the 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 second the second year they make it to the national final again. The team had a few more losses, but they make it to a national final against a really good uh, Connecticut team, Kemba Walker, Jeremy Lamb. And um, is it fair to say so? So, so your role changed between uh, from 2010 to 2011. Is it also fair to say that the the Cinderella story of 2010 made it? a little bit tougher for the team, but also kind of meet, there was more media hype uh, based on the, the previous year. Or is that a fair assumption? Yeah, it, it was really interesting. You did a great job summarizing that because there were two di- different flavors. Like 2009, 2010, you had Gordon Hayward, who was a first round NBA draft pick. You had Shelvin Mack, you had Matt Howe. You had a team that had basically all come back from the prior year in that 2008, 2009 season when yep. they lost to LSU in the first round. So everybody comes, you know, basically everybody comes back You've got, you've got Gordon now in his sophomore season, and, and they were really good. I think they finished with like a 33-win season or something like that. But there was an undefeated record in the Horizon League, and they had some really tough non-conference matchups. I, I think they may have uh, – I was trying to remember. That was the year I think they beat Ohio State as well, who was a top 25 team um, back in December. But then, but then you look to the next year, and that year, you, you, you pointed that out. It was right. They had lost some tough games. They had lost – three straight, including a, a game at Youngstown State in February, and, and they were struggling. And, th- and then from that point on, from early February, they went on a run and they did not lose until that national championship game in UConn. But those were some great the, – the thing I remember about that second year was it was probably the more unlikely one because Gordon had already gone to the draft and because they had struggled earlier in, in Horizon League play. But the, the NCAA tournament that year included – just incredible games. There was a tip in for old dominion where they won the Pittsburgh game was one of the wildest games you'll ever imagine fouls within yep. the last couple of seconds of the game for both teams. But then you go and you beat Wisconsin, you beat a really good Florida team. And then it was VCU in the final four down in Houston and, and before falling to UConn. But yeah, it was just very different fields that one 2009, you knew you had something really special in that season. The 2010, 2011 was just amazing how they had finished that season. And I do want to, I, 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 I've been dying to ask you. So Brad Stevens at this point, so in that, in that this 2011 season that you're talking about at this point, he has been the coach for four. This I think was his fourth season. Um, the team a few years prior had gone on this run to a sweet 16 with Todd Licklider, who then became the coach of Iowa. And then here comes this, unassuming, quiet, very young coach um, uh, of, uh, you know, grew up in the Indianapolis uh, area named, named Brad Stevens. And I know Butler, Butler had not necessarily had a history of doing national coaching searches and stuff and stuff like that, but there still is a sense of, huh, okay, who's, who's this guy? And, um, and then ends up taking the team farther than his predecessors had. Um, 
what 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 was that what was that experience like? I guess for for again for people listening who aren't hardcore Butler fans, what was what was your experience about just being around Brad Stevens and that journey? And did did it surprise you? Well, it's it's interesting. I don't know that I would have had enough perspective to say whether or not I was surprised. And but but it's it's such a great question because there's so much that I think about when I think about Brad. First off. Brad and I, when I, when I was a freshman on campus, I kind of looked like, you know, Brad looked like he was about 22, right? I mean, Brad, Brad did not look like he was, as you mentioned, kind of quiet, reserved, um, but, but people around the coaching world knew that he was special. I mean, he, he was really, he was a special talent. And so it's funny, I'd walk around Hinkle in a suit and as a freshman trying to cover the team and they'd say, hey coach, you know, what'd you tell the guys or something like that? And I'd be like, who do you think I'm Brad? Like, you know, that, that's how, you know, just a perspective. Now he's the coach of the Celtics and everybody in the world knows him. But, but back then, you know, first couple of years, he, he just kind of, you're right, was kind of unassuming in that spot. The thing that it was most impressive to me about Brad and, and is impressive to me about Brad is this. Ask, first off, ask anybody who's been around him and you're only going to hear positive things. You're, you're only going to hear amazing things about Brad Stevens. And, and, and Brad and Tracy, his wife, they're, they're, they're amazing people and have been so good to, to Butler University. If you, think, if you think about, from my perspective, I'll never forget a few things. Number one, when I was, when I was a freshman, I covered the team. And this is back in the day, Michael. Let's, let's, let's go back to that 2008-2009 season. I know that Daenerys got stories about the late 80s for Butler where there were like 15 season ticket holders in a shoebox. And, you know, it was a much different thing before Barry got there and, and changed the tone. But back in 2008, 2009, I mean, Jim McGrath was the sports information director. David Woods was covering for the Indianapolis Star. Occasionally, you'd have a beat writer or two there. But it wasn't like you had a lot of coverage. And so there were press conferences that I was in where I'm the, I'm the student, maybe a writer from the Collegian as well. You've got, you've got um, uh, David Woods and Brad basically there, right? And so, you know, I asked some questions and Brad answered things and did it very kind and courteous. But you know, it's kind of Brad Stevens. For me, that was really cool. He's the head coach. I remember going to Binkley's with my dad after one of the first few games of the, the season. And Brad is over this back when Brad could have dinner at Binkley's after a game or uh, maybe the night before a game. Right? I remember exactly when it was. And, uh, and Brad's over there at the table. And my dad's like, is that, is that Brad Stevens? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up, dad. Shut up. You know, and, uh, and Brad toward the end of his meal, just gets up, walks across the restaurant walks over to me and says, Hey Mark, how's it going? Like remembered my name as a student. Wow. Very early on and says, is this your, is your dad? I said, yes, yeah, my dad, dad, this is Brad. And, and he's like, my dad's like, Oh hi, yeah. How's it going? He's like, Hey, it's really nice to meet you. You got a great son, you know, you know, glad to have you as a bulldog fan or something like that. Right. Very small interaction, super unnecessary gesture has stuck with me for 10 plus years. Wow. And when I got the job to, to do the full-time radio, it was right after Brad had, Brad takes the job to go to the Celtics in, what would that have been in July, right? July 3rd of 2013. I get the, the Butler job in August. So a month later after Brandon had left and um, one of the first people to text me, first off, he's 30 days on the job in Boston, trying to figure out how to make all that work in, in the NBA. One of the first texts I get from Brad is a very nice, text from the new Boston number, you know, saying, you know, so, so happy for you. Congrats, you know, all, all the nice things, you, but I, you know, to me, and then you even see where he is today and 
you know, still listen to games, still, still follows the dogs just along the journey. It's the best example I've ever seen of, of humility, despite whatever success you have and staying true to who you are. And, and that's, and that's an unbelievable, those are two really small things, but Michael, I think it's the small things that tell the biggest stories. When you think about Brad, you, we could, we could talk about the same stories, him coaching his impact on players, what he's done for Butler, what he's done in the NBA, all those things. But to me, it's the small stuff that is so easy for everybody else to go unnoticed. And so anytime I'm like, you know, have to feel like I have to do something or whatever, it's like Brad can do you know, if like, that's how, that's the, that's the bar. Right. And yeah. so that, that's always stuck with me and, and speaks to his character. There's a, I just heard this past week. It's, um, uh, Bill Simmons, you know, inter- talking with Jackie McMullen, and they were talking about the Boston Celtics. And Jackie, they were talking about Coach Brad Stevens. Obviously, you know, the Celtics are having some challenges this year and uh, and injuries and things like that. But uh, Coach Brad Stevens, as the Celtics coach, is still beloved. And Jackie McMullen was basically saying she interviewed, she in a conversation with Brad Stevens, he referenced a scene which now I'm so happy got played out in the last dance, Mark. The um, mm. and because I, I was so again, I you know you're you've just turned thirty. I'm forty five, so I, I I love I love that people in your generation and younger are getting a flavor of um, Michael Jordan and just the oh, the cultural impact, you know, because because um, well, and growing up in the Chicago suburbs in the '90s for yeah. me, I mean, he, that was the deal, right? I've, right. I, I I think I had a Luke Longley jersey too. I mean, that's how yeah, that's how. But, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that, but, that documentary was awesome. It was so cool. And, um, so it's the, it's the, um, uh, Pacers bulls series in, mm. I believe 1998 when Reggie Miller hits a three at the buzzer to send it to a game seven and Brad Stevens talking with Jackie McMullen about Larry bird. There's this iconic scene that's played out in the last dance where Larry bird is watching, um, sees Reggie Miller hit the shot, stands there totally expressionless, and the crowd behind him just jumps up and erupts. You know, and his his expression didn't mm-hmm. change. Brad saying to Jackie Mack, and this is all secondhand, basically saying, "I saw that, and that had a great impression on me, which was I didn't want to be the kind of coach that 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 went with the emotional highs and the emotional lows." You know, I'm seeing Larry's reaction that, well, yes, we just executed the play. That's just, you know, had had such an impression on him. And he definitely gives off that kind of um, stoic, um, uh, composed, disciplined kind of kind of um, persona, you know, vibe. Is that is, is, is that what you see when the cameras aren't rolling? For sure. And and everybody's, you know, everybody's not the same 100 percent, but but as close as you're going to get. And, and the ones, the, the Butler example of that, that I remember very vividly was that Gonzaga game, which was college game day was on campus in 2013, I believe, you know, game days on campus. Gonzaga is a highly ranked team. They're coming into Hinkle Fieldhouse, big, big matchup the year in the, in the A-10 and, and Butler wins on a last second floater buzzer beater from Rose Jones, one of the more iconic moments inside of Hinkle Fieldhouse. And, Brad, if you watch the video clip, as that floater goes up, Brad turns and starts walking to Mark Few. And, wow. you know, you got 10,000 people in that building packed to the brim. Everybody's eyes are focused on that ball going up except one. And it's Brad. 
and I asked him, I think after the game, if I have the story right, I think they asked him after the game and, and he said, well, why did it matter what happened? And like, wow. we, we played the game. If he missed the shot, like, does that do anything less? Does that diminish what we play? No, we played our game. We played a great game, you know? So it, it, that, that's really interesting to hear you say that about Larry Bird, because that's how it's played out time and time again when he was at Butler. And you've seen that, you've seen that in the NBA as well. One of the, one of the other things you, you hear from players who played with Brad or coaches who coach with Brad is he's elite at being able to get people to buy in, right? A, he's, you know, he's brilliant X's and O's. And I mean, he's, he's, he's got an incredible basketball mind, but that, that aside, he also can get people to buy in. So part of getting people to buy in is being true to who you are. And part of that is being able to stay committed to your principles. If you want to get people to buy into the process, then you've got to, you've got to buy into it yourself and live that out. And that's what he does at a, at a really high level. So on the, on the floor, the things that you, you see as a fan, and I still want to, I want to stay on the Stevens era for a minute, if you, if you don't mind. Um, and some of this, some of this is a carry, I think is a carryover from previous coaches, but the unselfishness of the players, the speed at which the ball moves around, the defense as well, the switches in particular, and I'm not a hardcore, you know, I, I, I played, you know, a year of high school basketball, so I'm not, I, I, I'm sure I don't appreciate, um, you know, the depth of what a lot of people, especially in Indiana see, um, what, what for you, as you think about just the style of play typified the Brad Stevens era? Well, there were a few principles. Number one, I, I think you start first. Barry Collier really did an, an unbelievable job in the late 80s, early 90s, instilling a culture at Butler. Right? Culture is a word that we hear a lot right now, right? Corporately or just athletically or, you know, in, in, in t- any kind of team. And Barry had put in the Butler way as something that was going to be foundational in terms of how they played, how they carried themselves, how they worked as a team. Butler gets the tournament in 97. Barry ends up going to Nebraska. The, the, um, uh, Todd Lickletter, Thad Mata, then Todd Lickletter take over. They continue that trend. They get to Brad Stevens. So there were some foundational things that I think Brad had observed by working with Todd and, and working with that. And so, so seeing how that developed over time. And those, those are things like toughness and, and, you know, just kind of the, the, the gritty principles that go along with, but, but one of the things that Brad's teams always had, uh, a, I mean, super prepared, unbelievably prepared. Right now you had talent in terms of players, you know, Gordon Hayward and, and Shelvin Mack have played in the NBA. Matt Howard was obviously an incredibly talented player and, and, and a lot of guys that knew their role along the way, a lot of, a lot of really talented players, but it wasn't like you were recruiting a bunch of five-star prospects every year. And so how do you beat Butler was phenomenal and is phenomenal. That's not a past tense, but is phenomenal in tournaments and things where there's quick prep because they've got a, system that has principles and the principles, uh, you know, are, are able to, to work in, in a lot of different defensive principles, things that are really important in any matchup. And then in the tournament time, they're really prepared. They, they knew what to key in on for other opponents and they made it really difficult. And, and I think, you know, without getting too X and Ozzy, there, there's, there are some things that Brad was able to instill, but just some of the things that really stand out to me from that era were, they hit above their weight class because of their preparation, just as we were talking about earlier, as well as they were able to all buy in and know their roles. Like you had a lot of guys that knew their role. They, when they came on the floor, it didn't even need to impact the stat sheet, but you knew what you were getting out of that guy each and every night. 
And, and, and it's what created the ability to go 18 and 0 in a conference. It's what's created the ability to go to the multiple NCAA tournaments and then to have those deep runs in there as well. One thing I want to ask you again, for the benefit of folks who, um, are not from Indianapolis or hardcore Butler basketball fans is, uh, you know, there's a, there is a history associated with Butler. You know, a lot of people think about, you know, obviously Indiana university as they should Purdue university, especially under, um, Gene Cady, um, Hinkle Fieldhouse, you know, where Butler plays, definitely an iconic place featured in the movie Hoosiers. And when you talk about culture and you're a student walking around campus and getting to call the games, um, what what aspects of this Butler culture take you back decades? Are there are there things that stand out? Um, and I know I know like Coach Tony Hinkle, who who was Butler's coach um, for, for decades, namesake of the Hinkle Fieldhouse coached at a time where Butler was very successful, but just sport college sports in general was just so different. I mean, not, you know, you, you didn't have every, every game on, uh, on television or even on the radio. So are there, uh, are there parts of that, that long history of Butler basketball that stand out for you as you're a student now witnessing this, you know, this incredible run with Stevens? Yeah, I mean, there are. And I think for me, when I was looking at schools to go to, and I'd looked at a, a handful of them, when I stepped onto campus and when I met people from Butler, there was something different. And it's not to diminish any other school out there. It just meant for me, there was something really special. And I think what, what you're getting at is what I felt. I think culturally on the campus, um, just this the, 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 close knit connection of Butler Butler being a smaller school in terms of enrollment, I think has done a really good job of creating an identity. And you, you know, it's hard to meet a Butler grad who's not passionate about Butler. Right. And that was the case prior to the final four runs. Uh, and it's certainly even grown further yep. after those final four runs, but that's been the case for a while. The difference has been the change in the national identity and the national brand. And I think one of the things that changed that in the 2000, 2010 teams were things like guys going to class that morning of the national championship game, guys going to class, you know, and, and the, the, the academic all Americans that brought, you know, a guy like Matt Howard who was able to have Andrew Smith, the late Andrew Smith um, who passed away all too soon. Um, but, but, you know, these guys that were uh, not only leaders on the floor, but also leaders in the classroom as well. And so that, so you, you, that national story has helped bolster what was already a really strong academic reputation for, for the Bulldogs, even to, to a higher national level. When you look back at Tony Hinkle and you think back to the, and I was talking about Barry Collier in the eighties, but you're right. I mean, Tony Hinkle, that, that is the, the legend of Butler athletics. I mean, he, he changed it. A guy who was born in the 1800s and, and I think he passed away in 92, maybe uh, he wow. passed away in his nineties. But um, you know, so he, he joins Butler in the twenties, right? And Hinkle Fieldhouse is built in the late twenties, I think it was concluded in 29. And so you, you look back at his career, this is a guy in Tony Hinkle who was not only coaching basketball where he had over 500 wins in basketball. He also coached football. I think he had, you know, 150, 200 wins, something like that in football. And he was also a baseball coach as well. So you look at uh, Tony Hinkle was Butler athletics for the longest time. And he coached until, I want to say maybe the seventies. So he was coaching from the twenties to the seventies. I mean, he, he was, he coached through most of his life 
for Butler University and coached a wide variety of sports. So a lot of the donor, a lot of the you know donor base that travels around uh, to support the team, or a lot of the alumni, a lot of the fans, they've got Tony Hinkle stories that that they played with, and that that was really an iconic thing. I mean, they they were teams that went out and they beat Big Ten teams back in the day, right? So so they right. had an identity and they had built a lot of a pride in terms of athletics at Butler back in the, the Hinkle era. And then when Barry came back onto campus, he was able to pick up on a lot of those Hinkle principles and, and carry them forward. So it was, it was cool to me to be able to, to, it, to kind of see the different generations of Butler and athletics and how that's you know, been interwoven with the, with the academics and with the, the campus life experience and to watch that blossom. And really, I think you look at that moment in 2010 as just hitting a whole new S curve, right? Taking all that, all that legacy, all that tradition, all that experience, all that work that people had put in and getting that to catapult into a billion dollars of media exposure and, and scale uh, to help grow it. And, and so it's, it's really cool to, uh, to be able to see that Graham Honaker, who's works at Butler has just written a new book, um, Cinderella strategy on, on, on that journey. And, and it's, it's just a fascinating, it's a fascinating history and tapestry of things that led to that moment. And now the thing for Butler that's really cool is, you know, it wasn't just 2010. You and I could name schools that had a magical run in the NCAA tournament and, and haven't had as much relevance since then. Right. And, and what Butler has been able to do to, from that point on is what's, 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 what's as impressive and, and what continues to impress me. So, and then I have a, I just have a couple quick hit questions. I'm just dying to know. I remember where I was when it was announced that Brad Stevens was hired as the coach of the Boston Celtics. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was back in my hometown in uh, central Southern Illinois in Hillsborough at my, my parents' house. Um, did, did you think that was kind of cool? Because it's almost, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading something into it because it feels like a lot of people had accepted, okay, Coach Stevens is young. He's going to have a lot of opportunities. But to go from, I mean, it'd be one thing to go from Butler to, you know, a Big Ten school or an ACC school, but to go straight from Butler to the Boston Celtics and to see all the great things that Danny Ainge and people were saying about him, I mean, or, 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 were, or were you disappointed? I might be reading too much into that. Disappointment would not be the right word. You're always sad to see somebody go who you have such respect for and admiration and uh, had obviously made such a tremendous impact on Butler. I was really happy for him. I thought that was awesome. I mean, how cool is it? And, and that's what I thought about. Like, what doors does that open to for other people, right? Not only to be able to coach at Butler, but doors does that open to connectivity in the NBA? Doors does that open for exposure for Butler? Doors does that open, most importantly, for Brad? Right. Here's a guy who was at Eli Lilly. It was well documented. He left his job at Eli Lilly where he was you know, already on a, on a fast track and he goes over and he takes a job as an unpaid assistant with Butler to try and get over and get into coaching. And he gets the, then he gets into the, the paid job at, at Butler. He starts building his, his experience, his knowledge, his connection, all those things. And then he gets over to take over the head coaching job at a very, very young age. And he hits the ground running. And what does he do? He takes the team to NCAA tournament after NCAA tournament. And, and to be able to watch him catapult, I think there was an anecdote, and I'm not going to remember where I, where I heard this, but basically that Danny Ainge, when he's watching the, the 2010 national championship games there, and he's, and he's pointing out you know, the, the potential for a Brad, Brad Stevens, right? And, and so this is something that 
people in the coaching community knew how special he was, not just by the fact that they won, but the way that they won, the, the way that his teams were built, the identities they had. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was beautiful to watch that to grow and, and then to not only see him go to the NBA, but to have success in the NBA yeah. and, and to, 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 to kind of reshape the identity of the Celtics and get back to some of the, the Boston passion that they had for their team. Like that is awesome. And I, I disappointment, not at all. I, I was thrilled for Brad, thrilled for his family and, and excited for what that meant for the opportunity for Butler. Yeah. That was right at the time Butler was moving to the big East and, and um, a chance to, to give other people an opportunity to grow their careers too. So I, I think it's been awesome. Brad, Brad and Tracy have been amazing ambassadors for the university. Tracy's on, on the board and, um, and it's just, it, it's, it's really, <laughs> I think it's just amazing to think about for me as somebody who didn't really know where Butler was on the map, then to finding where Butler was going to school there and just watching it grow. I've had more degree inflation over the time or, or Butler's had such massive amounts of exposure. It's because of things like that, that continue to help build the brand. So you, you said it earlier about the continuity, you know, how many teams could make, you know, two national finals in a row, but continue to have this continuity. And again, I did a little bit of the research on the seasons and, you know, there's a, there's one a bit of a down year with coach, Brandon Miller, you know, who, who then left but was replaced by Chris Holtman. The team had three great seasons with Holtman. Coach Jordan has been very – I mean, there's no – last year, I, I, I forgot, last year they were up to number five in the country. Certainly if the tournament hadn't been canceled due to COVID, they would have uh, had a good seed in the, in, the, in the tournament last year. And the, the, uh, um, a lot of questions, I think the big one is the event – that I think defines this these last several years is you move from Horizon. I forgot about that one weird year in the A10. By the way, <laughs> uh, my father's my father uh, rest in peace. My father's alma mater, St. Louis U, was really good that year too. I forgot about that year. That's right. They were really good. Yeah, some tough games for Butler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one year in the A10, and then here's the 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 reconstituted Big East Conference. You know, Villanova, St. John's. Georgetown. I mean, you go on and then Butler gets in there. It's like incredible. And, you know, President uh, Jim Danko, who's on our board at, at the organization I work for, Indy Chamber, I, I've, I've, I've asked him a few different times to kind of walk me through how this happens. But this is incredible, Mark. I mean, you're doing play by play at a time where you've got you've it almost seems like the 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 program has gone from respected mid-major, these two national finals, and now you're in an elite conference. What 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 is that like? It was remarkable, and I credit Jim Danko and Barry Collier and, and Brad and others for being able to help get the program in a position where you could go from, you're right, from the Horizon League to the A-10 to the Big East in a couple of seasons. And, and remember, this is when you're, you know, your recruiting pool is changing, right? You're going from recruiting with the Big East logo, but you've just been recruiting with the Horizon League logo and, and the A-10 logo. And look, the Horizon League was great for Butler and is a great conference. The a 10s a great conference as well. It, when you talk about media exposure, when you talk about revenue being driven into the program, when you talk about ability to go into people's homes and, and talk about, you know, think about this, Michael. When I, when I started at Butler in my freshman year, a matchup with Georgetown was like the thing, right? I mean, that was like you're, you're getting a non-conference matchup with Georgetown, or, or, or a, a power five, power six uh, school. And, and now it's like, 
oh yeah, Georgetown's Tuesday. And then we got I know Villanova it's like coming it's like oh there's oh like, there's Patrick Ewing okay oh yeah okay there's Patrick there's Jay Wright and Chris Mullen was the head coach at Saint John. it's like right. oh yeah so so okay so where are our winnable games right you know it's like yeah <laughs> I mean I mean it's just it it it's fascinating to watch that for me it was I mean I I couldn't have been more fortunate I mean to to be able to call a game in Madison I thought, you know to call a game in Madison Square Garden I, I grew up loving the Big East tournament I mean I, I don't know. In, in terms of sporting weeks, right? Like the Big East tournament in the garden is something that I just loved. You sit there and, 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 and some great competitive games, the Big East had this identity and it was in the garden, right? Which made it that much yep. more special. And so to, to be able to think that Butler was now in that and in it in a way that you're not just like playing, like you're competing, right? You're going to NCAA tournaments They go to sweet 16 um, and, and, and they keep making the tournament last year. You're right. I mean, last year's team, what what a shame for that senior class. Obviously, the pandemic has been horrible, and there's so many more people who have been adversely affected by that. When we're speaking purely in a basketball context, to have those to have those players who have worked so hard for that, you know, sounds cliche to be able to have that one shining moment, right? Where yep. they were they were going to have a great seed. They had just come off a dramatic victory over Xavier on the road where Kamar hits another buzzer beater to win. They're going out to the garden. They think they're going to have a run. And then the whole thing gets shut down. I mean, yep. that's difficult. But 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 when you look back to your question, Michael, about the Big East, like that is now that you, you can't have this kind of, oh, here's, you know, here we are trying to beat the Giants. Like you're in the, you, you're in the conference now. So yes. it's, a, it's a mindset shift too. So how do you maintain that humility and the, and the, the kind of the fundamentals of the program? But you can't really try and have that identity too because you, you've got to compete at night and night out with the with the top teams top brands and in, in in all of college athletics and and so it's 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 had to be a, a shift and then you change head coaches in that time as well and so it's remarkable what what Butler's been able to do and the success they've been able to drive taking those leaps forward in such a short period of time I have one more question about the Big East then I want to I want to ask you a few questions um, about your preparation, and you've been incredibly generous, so I won't I won't stretch this out much longer. No, you're all but, good. You're all but good. Thanks. Um, so, you doing play by play games um, as the radio announcer? How again? You're doing you're doing play by play when they're in the Horizon League, then the one year in the Atlantic Ten, then coming into the Big East, where literally every conference game is on national TV. Has that just in terms of the logistics? of you uh, showing up to do play-by-play, and I know asterisk by, you know, COVID has changed everything, and, and, and these, this, this past year has been unusual, but, but has that, has the move to national TV and, and Big East Conference changed your approach or your experience calling the games? Here's the thing that, that's beautiful about that question, Michael, and I, I w- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it, and then I'm going to flip it back on you to talk music, too. But I, I wonder, so, so even broaden it, forget the specific conference within basketball, calling a minor league game, calling an Olympic sport event, calling a high school event, calling whatever. For me, excuse me, for me, I, I look at this and I take it seriously, no matter what the situation. Now, is there more access to information? Is there more visibility or is there more 
things, eyeballs on it or, or ears listening to it for, for sure in those situations. But it doesn't really, for me, it doesn't change the preparation. It, in, in, for me, no matter what the game is, I have a certain standard that I want to hold myself to. And it doesn't matter if there's five people listening or it doesn't matter if there's 500 people or 5,000 people, 50,000. Um, you know, you, you want to broadcast things a certain way because what's important is not necessarily just who's listening, but it's about, I get enjoyment just calling the game, telling the story, right? And, and that to me, to be a good storyteller, you also have to know who are the characters, what are the plot lines, what is the information, you know, what's the history? How do we make sure we, we, we understand and you can effectively do it good. You can do it justice. So to, to me, the answer to the question is where it does change things is not necessarily in the preparation or, or how you get ready for it. The biggest, the biggest thing is it's just the energy, right? Yeah. Is different, right? When, when you're calling a game and you've got 10,000 people or you're in Madison Square and it's 20,000 people, and you're calling a game in those environments. I mean, you'd be lying if you said more people in more fun, like it's a blast, right. To, to do that. doesn't mean you don't have fun calling a game when there's five people there. I still have a fantastic time, but the energy you kind of feed off that differently. And you're also just from a basketball junkie perspective, you're going to really cool arenas. You're going to really cool cities. You're going to, you're, you're watching really iconic programs that you're, you're getting to see night in, night out. And um, to be able to truly just enjoy the ride, I mean, I, I have done nothing to take Butler from the Horizon League to the A-10 to the Big East. I've done nothing to take Butler to an NCAA tournament. I, I just get to enjoy that. So regardless if, if Butler has a great season or they don't have a great season, I try to bring the same passion and energy to it because I'm just fortunate to be able to call the games. And so, but to, but to me, the biggest difference, Michael, is just in the experience, the atmosphere, the, the venues, the, 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 the energy inside of the building. That, that's where you start to, to, to see that. And more fans doesn't equal more energy, but it just means that, the, the, that sometimes, you know, being a Madison, you're going to have a different energy. Now, calling a high school basketball game in the state tournament, that's going to have some energy. Yeah. That's going to have some juice, right? And, and that's going to be awesome. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean the number of fans, but, but it, and that's the thing I've loved about Butler is the fans are so passionate. They care. They care about their dogs and, and you, you sense that and you know, it's important. And so you try to make sure you do your part to, 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 to prepare and to, to deliver every time and as much as close as you can and to try and get better each and every, each and every game. Can you, can you give us, um, I, I'm not going to ask you to give away, you know, trade secrets and stuff like that, but I am, I'm just, so like, let's say hypothetical situation, you're, you are, um, three or four days out from, a game against a nationally ranked opponent on national TV and you're you're trying you're thinking about you know you want to provide the radio listeners with an experience and you know be be the ears and eyes uh, for them what what are are there habits or methods of preparation that have served you well that that you know will help you in the game kind of block out all the all the energy and excitement and focus on the task are there things that's that that have served you well no question. There's a lot of different ways to prepare for a game. There are some fundamentals, though, that are really important. We go back to that earlier question about being appreciative of people who have mentored you. I remember the, when I first got that Butler job, Kristen Neary, I think, and I, and I had coffee, and he sat down and he said, here, 
here are all the boards I use. Here's everything that I, what can I do to help you? Brandon Gunn says, here's everything I've done. Here's what I've learned. How can I help you? Right. And so everybody's very, been very generous with their time and, and preparation. For me, there are a few key fundamentals. So if you're, let's say Wednesday, um, you know, Wednesday game or something like that, and you're trying to prepare, there's a, the, the elements would be this number one, the, the basic thing that governs regardless of the sport that you're calling uh, broadcasters, a lot of times refer to it as a spotting board. So a spotting board is effectively a cheat sheet that you're building. Think of if you had like a, an open, you could, an open book test or something, or you could bring a one page of notes to a test that you had to take. That's basically what preparing a spotting board is like. And what you're doing there is you're, you're researching information. You're, you're listing all the players information, their demographic information, name, hometown, you know, height, weight, you know, all that stuff, positions. Then you're doing statistics, be it season or last game or trends or thing, you know, things that you find interesting. And then a few key nuggets or anecdotes on each person, right? And you could have more for people that are going to be as, you know, more of the spotlight or, or, or such. And then you're doing that with the team. You're understanding where the team's been, the trends, uh, what's important to the team. And so you're building this board out. And, and I, I built a board. I probably use 10% of what's on that board in a given game, right? You're not going to, I mean, you're not going to use everything on that board in a given game, but you don't know which 10 or 15% of the stuff you're going to actually be able to use. The second thing is you're also not going to be looking at it the whole game. Part of learning it is building it. And okay. that's, um, and, and that's, and that's part of the preparation. So building the board, then you're going to be watching game film and you're going to try and familiarize yourself with the opponents because when you get in real time, you don't need, you can't be looking down at who, who's who trying to identify numbers and names and things like that. You, yep. you have that there for quick reference, but you're trying to identify, okay, what's, what's this player move like? How do they, how do they show up? What are their tendencies? And so you've got that in rhythm. If, if Rose Jones shoots a floater every time and I act surprised that he puts up a floater a couple of times early in a game, well, I haven't done my homework. Yeah. yeah. That's how he shoots. Right. And so if I'm like, Oh, he's throwing up a couple of floaters here. It's like, well, you're going to lose instant credibility. Right that along with names and pronunciations are quick, quick things that drive immediate credibility loss and, and, and just are super like nails on a chalkboard for me. If I, if I do that. And um, so, so, so those are some basics. Then you're talking to players, you're talking to coaches, you're talking to sports information directors that are basically in charge of aggregating information and being the team communications lead. So you're, you're understanding the story and what's really important about all that preparation. And that could take, I don't know, 10 hours for a game to get ready for. Um, you know, what's really important about that, Michael, is this. What you're trying to do is not show how much information you know. You're trying to actually understand the full context so that you can simplify it. Yeah. Right. And you can figure out, okay, why, why would somebody listen to this game? Why would somebody watch this game? Yeah. What's important for these two teams? What's important for the listener? And how do I make sure that I hit those points? And it's different a little bit. I think whether you're a team broadcaster or a national broadcaster, whether you're on TV or radio, whether you've, uh, you know, been, been, been covering the team a lot, whether you've not been covering, you know, those things all play into how you prepare or, or, or not necessarily how you prepare, but the way in which the, the, the storytelling goes a little bit, but, but the, the, the principles of how you prepare and making sure you understand those things are really important. Could you call a game on two hours of prep? Yes. You could call a game on two hours of prep, but if somebody goes down with a, a knee injury, there's two ways to describe it. One way is he went down with a knee injury. That's tough to see. The other way is he went down with a knee injury and two years ago 
he actually had torn his ACL or MCL. So there's, that's why you're seeing the extra attention. That's why you're seeing the tear. That's what you're seeing, because you know, it's a knee that he's been battling with for a long time. Right. So again, somebody hits a game winning shot. Do you just say it's a game winning shot or was it the same type of shot that he hit or she hit two, two, three years ago? Yeah. Right. And so, so those, it, it's the little things that I listen for with a broadcaster that really stand out to me, not about somebody who just bloviates a lot of stats or things like that. It's just, knowing when to insert the right information to be able to, 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 to tell the most effective story, most, most articulate story. There's it, telling the story. That's so, that's so interesting. It's like this idea of, of being um, uh, conversant and, and having a knowledge of the facts so you can tell a compelling story is something. So I think it's my fourth episode of, the, of this podcast, possibly the fifth with Andy Black. I've been obsessed with, getting better at narrative as a way of organizing information. And I just think about Mm -hmm. Mark, you know, just throughout a season or even within a game, it's like, who doesn't love a comeback story? You know, who doesn't love uh, an overcoming impossible odds story, you know, and how many, how many stories are embedded within, I mean, then that's, it seems like that's, I mean, that's like the most essential thing about sports. I've got a couple members of my extended family, um, I have a lot of sports fans in my family. I have a couple of members of my extended family, my wife's family, who aren't so much into sports. And I find myself sometimes saying, hey, sport is actually not about sport. It's about the stories, you know? <laughs> but that, yep. that's an interesting... That's that, exactly so, right. So you see yourself as sort of um, trying to, take, trying to take, the, take the listener on a ride to tell these stories. Is that accurate? It's going to sound super corny, Michael, but, uh, but, but, but truly this is how I've, I've viewed things as I've, I've gone literally like it's a book, right? And, and that each game for, for Butler, it, you know, there is going to be a book written about each season. Okay. Each game can be its own chapter or there can be chapters that happen outside the court. Right. And those are all chapters that go to tell this larger story. So for me, my job is not to try and get, yeah, I'm not to try and create the story. My, my job is just to read this, right. To, to bring that to life. Well, to do that, I've got to be able, you know, I'm not the characters in, in the story, right? I'm just trying to help communicate that and, and, and tell that story. And so for me, I'm looking at it like you have all these different cast of characters, you've got plots that go up and down, and it's important to be able to draw back on that in different parts of the, of the, of the year, right? What, when, when Butler's playing, uh, you know, they're going to open up against Xavier in, in the Big East tournament. What's really important about Xavier is they've already played them twice. What happened in those games? What's been the ebbs and flows of the season? Butler's had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of young players. They had the COVID pause early in the season. These are all things that play in when you look back in hindsight and say, okay, yeah, that was the 2021 season. You and I are talking about well, the 2009-2010 season. Every season kind of has its own story, and then each season is part of a larger book too. But I look back at that and I say, you know, within a game, that's why it's important to do game resets. What, what happened? How did we get here? Yeah. What happened in the first half? What's been important? how have these players developed over the course of the game or over the course of the season? It's constant storytelling. And, and when I look at it with that kind of lens, it becomes really fun. And I take that job really seriously because I, I, I get entrusted by the university to be able to be the storyteller. And, and I want to do that job as best I can. Nick and I get to do that. And we are so lucky. And by the way, I haven't talked about Nick, but I have to just take a moment, Michael and say, it is so rare to be able to, to, to work with somebody as talented as he is at being able to describe what's happening. He played at Butler, grew up in Indianapolis, 
has been around. He's seen more Butler games than I think anybody else has. He's been traveling with the team more than anybody else has over the last 10, 15 years, 10, 20 years, really. And, and he knows Butler. He, he bleeds Butler blue. And it's really cool when you get to call a game with one of your best friends. And, so great. and to be able to do that, and, and we, we have so much fun calling those games, traveling together to, to be able to do that. And I am so lucky. It allows me to do what I love, him to do what he, he loves. And when we get to both love what we do and when we get to, to tell that story together, it becomes, it, it's just, it, it is the furthest thing from work you could possibly imagine. It's not even like, it's just so much fun. Yeah. And I'll, so that, 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 that's part of like playing in a band with somebody who you just love yeah. being around and, and you love riffing with, like that, that makes it that much more enjoyable. And, um, and even, and, even though just doing it in general is enjoyable. And shout out to, to Nick Gardner. How long, how long has this partnership of you and Nick uh, been together? How many years now? Eight, eight, eight years. Okay. And, um, and so Nick's, Nick's worked with three different broadcasters. He works with, he worked with uh, Joe, he worked with um, Brandon Gordon, and then he's been stuck with me for eight years. But um, it's been a, it's just been a, an awesome ride and, and we have, we have a ton of fun, but I think that's part of it too, right? You, you know, you're around each other a ton, you, you know, when broadcasters actually kind of like each other and, and they have fun, I think it helps the chemistry on air. Um, but it, but it also helps us build relationships with the staff and the players. And, uh, because that also is really the, the relationship, it's really interesting to be a team broadcaster to, to be able to, to build the relationships with the players and the coaches and, and the, in the administration and the fans and, and to, to, to just kind of be immersed in that. Um, so, so it's really fascinating. I just have a few quick hits, Mark. You've been more than generous with your time. Yeah. Um, one, I, I, I'm dying to ask when, um, when you walk away from a game and you'll be like some, some nights, I'm sure you're like good game. Are there, are there little mistakes or things like that, that the, the us lay people wouldn't catch that if you walk away from a game, you're like, Oh man, um, and you know, what, what are, what are those? Th- and obviously you're a pro, so I'm assuming that there are very few of those at as many years as you've been doing this, but I'm just, I'm just curious. Oh, no. What, 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 oh, what are those uh, uh, for sure, for sure. There are, there are a multitude of those. I'll tell you there, there's, there's ones that I just straight, it's like a fail, complete failure on my part. And it drives me nuts when I notice that I haven't said the time and score enough, or maybe it's gone a couple minutes without saying that. I just, it, it eats me to my core. Right. And so I listen back in the summer. A lot of times I'll pick a random game, pick a random moment. And you just try and say, how long does it take me to, to, to bring some, if I were not, if I didn't know this game, how long would it take me to get up to speed on what's happening? Time, score, story, et cetera. Right. And, um, and so when, when, when I don't do that, well, that drives me nuts. Miss, you know, if you mispronounce somebody or, or you miss a stat or a factual error, th- those, those drive you nuts because those are, completely preventable. All that's completely preventable. There are some times where you listen back at a game. And, and again, I look back at my time with Butler and when I, when I got the job, I, I knew, and I talked to the, the, uh, the team, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to be at my best year one, right? I'm going to work my butt off. I am going to try and be a better broadcaster year two than I was in year one, year three, then year two. And, and I've tried to do that every year. Um, but there are still moments where you feel like, did I do that justice? Right. Did I do that moment justice? Did I say the right thing at the right time? Did I have the, did I, did I, did I um, miss something that could have been said differently or did I describe that the right way? And it doesn't necessarily need to just be the biggest shot in the game or a game winner or anything like that. It, 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 it can, it can be something in the midst of a game where you feel like, 
I forgot to, to talk about that, that run, or I forgot to mention a stat, or I forgot to, when, when, the, when the play was going on, I, I feel like I didn't bring the right energy. Those types of things are also really frustrating that when you listen back, you're like, gosh, I really wish I could have had that one back. But you can't, you don't. And you also, the, the challenge in a live broadcast, much like live music, I'm going to keep saying it, is when you mess up, you got to move on. Yeah. Right? Because you can have a blunder in the first three minutes of a game, but you still got two hours left to be on air. So if you, if you think you said something stupid or it didn't make sense or whatever, you just got to move on. Right? Yeah, because in, in music, break that down yeah, in, in music, if you let it get in your, get in your head, it's going to be really hard for you to get through the rest of the show. So I'm assuming it's a similar, you know, thing. that feeling, yeah. right? Like totally. you're thinking about it and then it's like messing with your head, then your rhythm and timing's off. Now you're yep. now it's like a snowball that it feels like it's just keep getting, keeps getting worse. And so you have to like have a, you know, kind of, you know, wake up call to yourself and be like, just move on right? yeah. and let's start fresh. Like it's a brand new broadcast right now. Yeah. Um, do you have internet trolls? Do I have internet trolls? I, I, uh, I, I am, I am sure I've, I've certainly, there have been people that, uh, tweet with their opinions. I, I will say that the Butler fan base has been awesome and super supportive. Being in Indianapolis is just an amazing city. Somebody who grew up in the Chicago suburbs and I love Chicago. Um, I, I, I have loved Indianapolis going to school Butler here. It's become my home fiance, yep. Trisha's, uh, you know, from the area. And, and so I, the people here are amazing. And so I, I don't, I don't get a ton of internet trolls. I think I also don't, I, I don't have a lot of hot takes. I'm not really a hot take person, yeah. Michael. So I, I, I don't know that I, um, I, I bring that on too much, but you know, certainly I, and, and when people give me feedback, I'm, I'm always in for feedback and, and critiques. And I think early on, especially at Butler, I got more of that. Yep. And I, I looked at that two ways. One was, you know, at some point you get disappointed because it's like somebody's tweeting at you saying, you said you sounded stupid or you did something. And so you're kind of bummed about that, right? Because it feels like you just disappointed not only that person that sent you that, but also who are all the other people that didn't tell you that, that you disappointed. And, and then, you know, I, I, I kind of changed my mindset on that pretty quickly to like, either it's irrelevant, it's just silly or, uh, it's actually a relative, I may not like how they said it, but it could be actually a fairly good critique. You know, maybe it's how I, I pronounce something or I, or I, I, I repeated myself or I said, but, and so I, I've actually, I, I actually ask people a lot to critique what I do because I, because I'm actually interested in, in how I can be better. And that part doesn't offend me, but you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a pro athlete. I'm not, I feel bad. I'll tell you this. I feel bad for college athletes these days. Um, yeah. With some of the things that they get exposed to it's on too, social it's, media. It's too much accessibility. It's, it's when you're that young. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard enough for professional athletes or professionals in media or professionals in general for, for kids that are 18 years old and who are still trying to understand who they are and they're trying their best out there to be tagged into stuff. And, to, and, and, and you could say one of two things, right? So the common thing you hear is like, well, just don't be on social media or, or, um, don't let it bother you. It's like that. Does, I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, yeah, that's completely ridiculous. And a, they're not going to be the only people that aren't on social media when their entire world is. And you're in, and you're at that age, you're looking for, uh, attention. You're trying to understand perspective. You're trying to do that. And the second thing is don't let it bother you. It's not a real thing. We're all humans. It does. Yeah. Right. I think for a lot of people. And so as you get older, you can maybe process through that differently or you can do that. But you know, I always, I always find it crazy when you see people that, that are going after, uh, college kid, you know, college kids, really kids and teenagers on this. And it's not like, 
that they're trying to, they're not trying to miss a shot. They're not trying to struggle off. Nobody's more mad about that stuff when they are. And so I, it always, it always frustrates me a lot. That's where I do get fired up when I, when I see that type of stuff being directed at athletes or, 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 uh, or folks on social media. It's just, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of sad. I agree. Um, so I have one question I want to ask you about uh, Indianapolis hosting the tournament. And then before, then I'm going to do a quick hit and share with you my favorite, my, my personal most memorable Butler teams of the last 20 years. And just All to right, quick, a quick it. hit and then, and then we'll get out of it, out of here. But um, for people listening and I, you know, for those, you know, friends and family who are not from Indianapolis or live here, don't maybe spend a little bit of time here. I am just realizing literally this past week how big this is going to be hosting the entire men's mm-hmm. NCAA tournament in, you know, Indianapolis, you know, it's all, everything's happening within, um, you know, a 50 mile radius of Indianapolis. Um, and I, I'm all, I also had undervalued how much pent up energy there is out there for people to get back to, you know, communal experiences safely, you know, seeing family safely. I know that's still yep. that I know, I know we got to get everybody as many people as possible vaccinated before it, it resembles quote normal. But I, I don't know, man. I just, I just think we might be entering a time for Indianapolis that we're going to be talking about in 10, 20 years. I, I don't know. And so I don't know what my question is there. Have you reflected on that yeah. uh, lately? I, you know, I, I have, it's interesting. I remember talking to some folks, um, this would have been last year when this was all going down and, and, and thinking about, you know, this just kind of general sadness that all of the in-person stuff, the, the events, the, you know, the things we love about, you know, being in people, being a part of a community, engaging, all of those things were kind of going down. And then, and I forget who I was having the conversation with, but it was like, look at what's building here right now. Indianapolis on the cusp of becoming in the United States, the beacon of returning to events and we're turning to sports. Think about how this lines up, right? Yeah. You've got, you got March madness, which is now going to be hosting all of their tournament games here in Indianapolis, central Indiana, Lafayette and Bloomington in there as well. Then you go straight from April uh, national championship, the month of May. And we all know about the month of May in Indianapolis and the Indy 500 and won't that pageantry and the tradition be exciting to see returned and hopefully you're right. The vaccination schedule that we see stuff picking up and, and I, and, and, and the, the work that Indiana is doing to try and get that back on track. So seeing that come to life in May, and then you think about the opportunity that, that um, not only just with you know normal sports, right? Pacers, Colts, and, and, and then leading into the national football championship next year. And, um, and I just, I look at that and I think what an opportunity for a city as great as Indianapolis that un- unbeknownst to, to, uh, to us, the, the, what was going to happen this year, but the ability that the, all the foundational stuff that's been built for a long time to be able to capitalize on that makes me really freaking proud to, to be from Indianapolis and, and to live here and, and to, to work in the community where, where we support that and where we welcome yep. in. Uh, those types of events. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I get excited thinking about that. So, so to answer your question, yes, I have. And I think more than just like the immediacy of the NCAA tournament, the big 10 tournament and then the NCAA tournament, it's, it's what's going to be able to, to continue to, to be uh, thrust into the national spotlight. 
I agree. It's 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 going to be great. So no, th- thanks for sharing that. Okay, um, Mark, I I narrowed down my top three fa- personal favorite, and I'm and by favorite I said most memorable teams. And I just want to get a quick reaction from you on these. And I I didn't want to ask you to do it because I know it's probably like ask you know somebody asking you to choose your favorite <laughs> child. Um, that's right. Yeah. And uh, and and so um, I want to I want to do that in a quick hit before we hang up, if that's okay. Let's let's go. I'm I'm. I am very intrigued on where you will where okay. you will go. And, I, and I'm saying this: I'm a casual Butler fan, so if any yep. Butler alums are listening to this, or, or, or and get really mad, I invite you to start your own podcast, okay? Because this is my <laughs> podcast. So these are my these are my personal favorites. Okay, so um, honorable mention. I could. It was so hard because I went. I, I looking at how many how many different teams there have been that have been really really good. This made it really hard. So honorable mention: 2002, 2003. Mm. Uh, Joel Cornett, rest in peace. Brandon Miller, yep. Darnell Archie um, made it to the Elite Eight, if memory serves me correctly, including beat a really good um, Louisville team. And that was kind of, yep. I mean, Archie I, had a massive game. Yeah, he did. Yep. And that, and that was that. I think that was kind of a. And you were, I think you were like eleven years old at the time. But that was like a, <laughs> that was like no a comment. definitely put put kind of help put Butler on the map moment. Is that fair? I mean, you were really young, but. Yeah, it, it was. And the more I've talked to Nick Gardner about that too, it was like that validation, right? Because you'd move from Barry to Thad and they had success. And then for Todd Licklider to take over and take the team and win an, a sweet 16 game, you talked to Denary and people like that, that, that have been around the pro like that, that was a, that was a massive year. So I, I, yeah. I, I, I ding, I give you support on that one. Okay. Okay. So my third, my third place one was actually, and this is not just me being contrarian, but it's the 2009, 2010 team, which was incredible and so memorable, but there were actually two, two teams that I liked that I personally loved a little bit more, but obviously that year was amazing. And our, our oldest son had been born, um, on March 18th of that year. So me getting out and I got, I actually, we were, uh, Indy Chamber was hosting some, no, sorry, I was working for the mayor's office. We were hosting some, some guests. So I got to kind of play the host, but I actually got to go to that game, which, which was the, the championship game, which was quite surreal. Were you, did you have, um, uh, play calling duties, uh, for that game? I, I didn't call any games in the 09 or 2010 season, just, just was traveling with and, yep. and covering the team. So, uh, but, but have an unbelievably fond memories of, of that season. And and by the way, this is your favorite list, right? Not what you're considering the my best. My favorite, my favorite. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is where this is where your internet trolls are going to come out. Yeah. Michael and start the yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know I'm off I'm off Instagram and and uh, Facebook and Twitter, so they'll have to call me directly, which I invite them to. <laughs> but right. uh, incredible. You, you've incredible. got a mailbox in the middle of the lake that says suggestion box for your right. podcast. Right. But anyway, but uh, obviously incredible. Incredible season, and uh, Shelvin Mack, Gordon Hayward, Ronald Norad, you know, players we've talked about beforehand and just a shot away from winning a national title. What can you say? Um, my second favorite was actually 2007-2008, which had some some players mm. from 2010. Yeah, that's a good one. But I so loved the backcourt of Mike Green and A.J. Graves and then yeah. uh, Matt Howard, who also was on the 2010 team. But I, I really feel like... The, that team, in terms of playing so high above their talent level, um, was really tremendous. And so this would have been at a time when you were, I guess, looking at colleges and considering um, where you were going to go. Is that right? That That's correct. I can remember um, there was, if you remember that, that there was a game at Southern Illinois that year uh, where A.J. Graves hit a buzzer beater to to win that game. I think it was back in 
December or something like that. That was like, I, I, I had like, I was like in, so I'd like committed at that point and I was wearing my bow. And I remember watching that game and being like, this is going to be really special. I, I think it was that, that was the year that Tennessee was the last game, but that Tennessee game, I think went to like overtime, maybe one, yeah, I think just one overtime, but it was, it was a really close game. They were about ready to, to beat Bruce Pearl and go to another sweet 16 that year. Yeah. And a guy, there was, um, I forgot about this guy, Pete Campbell, who hit nearly half his threes oh, yeah. the entire year. It was just automatic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Pete, that was great. Pete Campbell was, was terrific. Drew Stryker those years. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so my number one favorite was 2012-2013, and I, I have to tell you why. Because in mm. Indianapolis, for those of you people who aren't from here, there's a game called the uh, Crossroads Classic that's played every year in December, and it's it's Purdue, Indiana, Butler, and Notre Dame. And Purdue, Purdue and Indiana will each play Butler and or Notre Dame because it's not another conference game, and it's such a fun event. And that year, as I recall, Indiana was ranked number one in the country. That's they were correct. undefeated going yep. into that game. And Butler comes in and beats them in overtime. You had um, Rodney Clark, who is a, a mm -hmm. senior transfer. You had Andrew Smith, rest in peace. Roosevelt Jones, yep. maybe my favorite Butler player of the last 20 years, who you, you've referred to <laughs> multiple times. So that that yep. turned out to be my favorite. And this would have been, if I'm doing the math, was this your senior year or had you just graduated? I, I had uh, graduated. So this is, so this was great because, um, and I was doing that, the, that was Brandon's last year doing the halftime post game for that. And um, yeah, you're right. Indiana, Alex Barlow hit that game winning shot. That's right. Um, and, and people were, you know, I remember Clark Kellogg saying Barlow, you know, it, it's just like, and, and Alex has become a, a great friend of mine. He and I were classmates together. And um, yeah, that, that was, that was a great, but there was also that, that, Rodney Clark game winner in, in Maui with Marquette that yes. year. Yes. Yes. He had that walk off, you know, that walk off winner in Maui. Yep. Um, to get them to the championship of that, that, that one. That, I feel that like, was a great, that was a great year. So, that was a, that so was the year. Um, our friend Carl Heck, who I think is still working for <laughs> Penn state. So Carl would tell me and, and uh, our, in our kind of group of friends would say, Oh, there's this transfer where we've got, we've got the inside, we, we've got the, um, we, we've got the in on this recruit or we've got this transfer coming in. And I remember the hype that Carl would describe Rodney Clark. And I'd kind of think like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy just had an awesome year, you know, it's just automatic. Mm -hmm. I just really, really enjoyed that team. And then if memory serves me, that, that was Steven's last Butler team before going to the NBA. That right? was, that was his last Butler team. That was the year before the Bulldogs went to the big East. I think they lost to Marquette. It was yep. down in Lexington. I remember we were down there and uh, Marquette won that one, but, but yeah, it was, that was a really, that was a great year. And um, you're right. That was kind of the, that was a very transitional year in a lot of respects too, because you're right. Brad's last year you had, you had, um, you also had the emergence of, of a guy like Rose Jones. And, and that was the year that we were talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier where they beat Gonzaga in Hinkle Fieldhouse, which I think people will say, if you look at games in Hinkle, um, that's, that's usually in somebody's in recent memory, somebody's top, two or, yeah. or three game. I mean, it's got to be one of the, the one, two or three in terms of those games in the last uh, 10 years or so last 20 years, you know, there's the shot heard around broad ripple for Avery sheets. There's Kamar's game winner against Villanova. Yeah. There's, there's that one, but, but that was a, that was an unbelievable season. 
I, 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 got no, I got no issues with your purely my scent. These are my sentimental favorites, but you know, again, casual Butler fan, but Mark, I, I so appreciate the time. And again, just your, I mean, and if we had more time, we'd talk about, I mean, you're definitely someone who's become a, a community leader in, in Indianapolis at a young age. And you're incredibly generous with the time that you give to other people in the community. And just the stuff you shared today, I think is going to be inspiring to anybody. I mean, whether it's somebody, you know, aspiring to, to go into journalism or even in just the, the, any any kind of creative practice is just real really inspiring. I just so appreciate it. Well, I, it is absolutely my pleasure, and uh, I feel the same way about you. You have been as a as a true leader in this community, Michael. You have been generous from day one since I've met you, and you have impacted so many amazing people across the city and and across our our great community. So I um, I, I am honored to be a guest on the show and. I, um, I just appreciate everything you do and our friendship, my friend. Hey, so thank thanks you. for having me on. Congratulations on your engagement to Trisha. For the people listening, Trisha Whitaker, who's a reporter for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays organization. Um, you know, really, uh, I know you, you've got you've got a lot going on in your life right now, and I hope that you and Trisha and your family and friends are able to take some time and enjoy the this. I think it's going to be an unforgettable NCAA tournament and month of March in Indianapolis. No question. The great Nick Gardner told me that anytime you have a microphone, make sure you take the chance to thank your significant other. So thank you, Trisha, for saying yes to me. Right. I mean, that's the opportunity. We'll see how many brownie points I get for that one. Smart man. Smart man. Yeah. Hey, Mark Minner, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for taking the time. All right, my friend. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. Talk soon. All right. 